The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham with The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. We'll be joined a little later by Damon men's basketball coach, Mike McDonald, who recently won his 400th career game, uh, and some pretty cool stats, uh, which we'll get into uh, with Mike McDonald about his career uh, that, well, we'll mention one right now. I mean, you, uh, you had, had told me, Jonah, that he's believed to be the only active coach in the country with 100 wins at the Division One, II, and three levels. That's pretty cool. Yeah, as far as we know, I don't know if there's another one that's inactive. I don't know if it's a record that's been specifically tracked, but the Damon Sports Information Office has looked into it and haven't seen at least another incident of a coach having that kind of success at all three levels. Yeah, so we'll talk with him uh, about uh, Damon's season so far and a triple header uh, going on uh, downtown Buffalo on Saturday morning and into the afternoon, also involving uh, Canisius and Niagara. Uh, but the news uh, that's on everyone's minds right now here in Western New York, uh, at least the sports fans, uh, Buffalo Bills reeling as they've lost two in a row. Uh, clinging to their playoff lives in the seventh and final wildcard spot and the NFL thrown in disarray this week uh, because of COVID. And, you know, just from a total pragmatic standpoint regarding the bills and their, their outlook, it uh, seemed to be helping out the bills a little bit uh, that the Raiders and the Cleveland Browns, two teams that are in the vicinity of those bills, uh, in the playoff hunt um, are going to have to play on Tuesday. Now that's going to also be a ripple effect that affects the following week, uh, which is also uh, Christmas weekend. Uh, so you'd have Cleveland and the Raiders trying to regroup and get ready on short rest. And the bills meanwhile have three of their last four games at home. And then we find out today that, the Bills' Pro Bowl left tackle. I don't know if we need how long we keep calling uh, Deion Dawkins a Pro Bowl left tackle. He has gone to a Pro Bowl, but he certainly hasn't. Probably won't like make a the next. I don't think he will be. Hasn't played like a Pro Bowler this year. Uh, anyway, he has tested positive for COVID again. Of course, he had a hard go of it uh, in training camp. As everybody recalls, he lost a lot of weight. He was in the hospital. Well, he has COVID again, and he's been ruled out for Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers. So uh, I just, uh, I mean, what's the domino effect going to be? We don't really know. Uh, Spencer Brown is on the Bills depth chart as the backup left tackle. He is the starting right tackle. And yes, John Feliciano is back. He played five special team snaps last week uh, in the loss uh, to Tampa, uh, which would suggest that maybe he's not ready to get any meaningful snaps at guard. Maybe he gets pressed into service regardless because of these, um, you know, because of this uh, situation, but no idea what the bills are going to do on the offensive line. Uh, we see what happens when one player goes out when Spencer Brown's been hurt or he was on the COVID list for a little bit and Cody Ford has to get on there on the field somehow. And Daryl Williams gets moved back to right tackle from right guard and seems to have forgotten how to play the position after doing it well last year. So who are the tackles going to be uh, against the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Tommy Doyle is another name that maybe could be in that mix. I think you also look at it. This was rather unexpected. Deion Dawkins has been able to practice throughout the week. So you don't even know who was taking reps where. Uh, when's the last time Spencer Brown practiced at left tackle? 
Uh, maybe that's something that they've been working in week to week, but he was out for several weeks. So it, it, there's a complicating factor of who's really ready to play this game and this game plan with Josh Allen, who's off the injury report, but obviously he's coming off an, a game where he ended up being injured and, and is banged up. So it, at this point, I don't know if maybe we'll get some reporting or some announcement tomorrow, but it's very much up in the air what the Bills are going to do offensive line starting unit-wise and if there's any adjustment into the game plan and how this affects how they play. A couple of players to keep in mind. Here's some names because we don't really follow the Carolina Panthers too much around these parts. Hassan Reddick, the uh, outside linebacker for Carolina, has 10 and a half sacks and 17 quarterback hits. Brian Burns, uh, the defensive end, has eight sacks and 16 hits. So a couple of players that the Bills are going to have to worry about, especially with Josh Allen dealing with that sprained left foot and uh, he's going to play on Sunday, but now he's behind a line that is got to be vulnerable. They're, they've been vulnerable with Deion Dawkins. Um, so Josh Maybe. Allen, is he a marked man on Sunday? You don't want him running. He's banged up. Uh, I guess you want him running. I mean, cause he's perfect. He's, he's productive and uh, he's the bill's best running back. However, you get scared, you know, with uh, every time he runs the ball, especially now that he's he's hurt. And we saw him in that walking boot uh, after the game on Sunday. And uh, and then the other thing, Jonah, you know, you can't whistle past the graveyard here, as we've been seeing with all these NFL teams. It usually doesn't stop with one guy. You know, Deion Dawkins emerging today as, as a positive COVID test. Um, but, you have to wonder what's going to what more we're going to learn uh, on Saturday or game day. Uh, regarding anybody else who tests positive or you have contact situations. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I don't want to get too doom and gloom about the bill specifically here, even though there could be some issues with offensive line that's been an issue going back several different um, injuries and players going on the virus list in the past. And to what you just said, this isn't – Deion Dawkins isn't the first bill to test positive in recent weeks. There's been a trickle of one to two going back to that Jacksonville week and really going back to when the Bills started to slump a little bit, especially in certain offensive and defensive line play. But the Bills, if you compare them to several other teams in the NFL, several other teams in other sports and other leagues, the NBA, NHL, college basketball, that are going through a lot of issues with multiple players testing positive and the rate of testing positive just growing every single day, you wonder how many games are even going to be played or postponed or canceled, forfeited the different steps that might be taken over the next couple of weeks and not to be too flippant about it, but one using one lineman uh, actually seems like a good scenario to be in compared to where some other teams and some other organizations are and where they could be going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Relatively like these I cover these hockey games and there's multiple players on the COVID list every single game between one of the teams. The Sabres haven't had too many. They had one goaltender, but the visiting teams have had multiple players, almost every team that comes into town. Right. But this is a team that is fighting for its playoff lives. The, the hockey season, there's still months to go. And the NHL has put out a statement today. They're obviously in position this early in the season. Um, who is it? Uh, the Colorado avalanche and, um, is it the, the, the Avalanche and the Panthers, excuse me, have been shut down through the holiday break. Uh, Calgary Flames, obviously, are riddled with COVID. But there's the ability and the flexibility to put things on pause right now in the other leagues. Whereas in the NFL, uh, and granted, like you say, they're not the Browns. They're not the Eagles. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're or not right. on their third quarterback. They're not right. down they're 10, not. 12 guys and, and maybe unable to even play. They're not scrambling and wondering, oh, my God, we lost Jake Fromm. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, we, we, we don't have Jake Fromm anymore. Um, and the Bills have had a number of different players test positive over a five, six-week period. Are they better off to not have that all happen in the same week? Well, I get that. I mean, I, I, and I agree with your, your sentence. Like, it could be worse is, is the point you're trying to make. It could be worse. However, that doesn't mean it's not bad. You know, so Deion Dawkins being out in in this right now, what is it, week 15, week four, whatever we're in here, there's only a handful of games. There's four games left, and the Bills have to win three of them 
Um, and if they win a fourth, if they're able to somehow beat New England uh, next weekend, the day after Christmas, uh, if they're able to swing that, they do have a they do have a shot to still win the division. But yeah, anyways, uh, I think that losing Deion Dawkins is really bad. You know, this is not losing. Uh, well, I've already. I've already explained why and it's because it jumbles up the whole offensive line. The bills obviously have depth issues on the offensive line that have been glaring when Spencer Brown has been out uh, and without John Feliciano. And of course, you know, there's the caveat that he's coming back, but they've, they've shown that they can't afford losses on their offensive line and they really can't afford a loss on the edge. Um, You know, Spencer Brown, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, uh, a handful of times, you know, your third round rookie shouldn't be this important to you when, when he's gone and the impact that it makes on the entire offense. Uh, and now he's going to be moved around presumably to left tackle, at least based on the bills depth chart, that their own internal depth chart. Um, Spencer Brown's the left tackle. Now, of course they can make moves, bring guys up from the practice squad and whatever they need to do, but. Maybe Spencer Brown will play well out there. I mean, he played well, at right tackle for most of the season. I don't think he came off the – Well, he could play well there. Injured but that, early. But we've seen Daryl Williams play uh, at right tackle this year a bunch of times, and it's been awful. So, yeah, Spencer Brown could be fine at left tackle uh, for Deion Dawkins, but there's, then there's a weakness somewhere else. And there, there's, a, there's a way to exploit, and there's a way to chase Josh Allen down and the guy that you <laughs> is most imperative to the Bills – ensuring that they get into the playoffs, um, you know, is going to have some sort of homing device on him for, for Carolina uh, to be, uh, you know, the, imagine blitzing, you know, the, the Carolina has to be looking at this and saying, well, what kind of communicate? Well, I mean, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here and a ramble, but Mitch Moore said after the Tampa Bay game, how they had communication issues on the offensive line. Well, I mean, um, that's with Deion Dawkins. That's with a veteran guy at, at the most important position on the line. Yeah. Uh, and now you take him out and you're jumbling things around. You have Spencer Brown playing on the opposite side and communication. You get a situation, uh, you know, with some blitzing or some stunts and, and all the different things that, that a defensive coordinator can pull to confuse an offensive line. I, I just, uh, again, I don't want to be doom and gloom either, but it's, it doesn't bode well. Yeah, well, you do lay out quite the disaster scenario that that could play out. And maybe this is how it will play out, a game where the offensive line is so bad that the offense can't score any points, like in the game against Jacksonville, and the Bills' defense plays well and they still lose. Or maybe there is a way with the five healthy linemen, five or six healthy linemen they do have, that they can have a pretty good game schematically. Maybe the tight ends can get involved blocking-wise. I think it's similar to the Bills lost Tredavious White, and they're not better without him but you haven't really seen a team really exploit that yet. There's ways other players and schemes can cover up for a loss of a player, but you don't want to lose too many of your good players because then you're spread too thin, but not to read. Dane Jackson played well against Tom Brady. Yeah, in the right, right. It hasn't been a glaring weakness at this point yet. Yeah. And the weather in the new England game probably played into that as well. But I guess what I'm saying is, you got to go out and win a game without your best players. Just about everybody in every sport is dealing with something like this. It's unpredictable, and it feels like it's probably uncontrollable. Vaccinated players are testing positive. A lot of players are testing positive quickly and in succession. I don't know how many times we're seeing players spread it to other players, but we're maybe seeing some evidence of that, and that can only multiply and explode. And I don't want to say the Bills should be feeling lucky that it's only one player right now, but it's less of a burden than I think you're seeing elsewhere. And so for the Bills fighting for their playoff lives, I mean, this is why you have backups and this is why you have depth. Uh, you got to go out and win this game anyways. At home against the team that there is missing Christian McCaffrey and the quarterback. And the, well, this, the is, this should still be back. a win. This should still be a win. I, I think that my main concern is getting Josh Allen into the locker room uh, at 4 p.m. healthy. Yeah, or, and maybe you need more out of him in a game where you would like to not lean so much on him and let him rest his ailing foot. Get up early and, uh, I mean, get ahead early. I don't mean like wake up at, at, uh, at 6.30 a.m. Uh, I mean, get, a, get ahead early and put Mitchell Trubisky in there, you know, if that's possible. 
um, if it's if they're able to do it. But they need these games. If they had beaten the Patriots or they hadn't lost to Jacksonville and had a little bit more wiggle room in the standings, you could get into a situation where you could fathom resting Josh Allen if he would go for, of course, you know, Sean McDermott showed how much he admired Josh Allen's toughness and how they wouldn't be able to actually pry him out of the game in Tampa, you know, unless he's missing a leg from the knee down, but uh, the coach does make that final decision just because Josh Allen insists he's going to play. doesn't mean they have to give him a helmet, Uh, but, um, but if he's healthy enough to be off the injury report now, maybe that was never that much of an injury. I know sometimes teams use those immobilization boots to speed up recovery and it can look worse than it really is. Right. But, I, I, um, again, and again, I, I keep reiterating, uh, repeating the same thing. Uh, um, yeah, I think he's fine, but it's just the, the whole idea that when the bills are, when the bills backs are against the wall, when the games are their most important, even seasons past, we're talking about once they get into the postseason. They, they cut the leash on Josh Allen and let him run. And so can you afford him, though, to be running for four games leading into the playoffs and needing him to be healthy? Can you afford to let him go out there and just run wild for a full month, accumulate those hits, bumps and bruises, or hopefully, uh, you know, for the sake of Bills fans, nothing worse than that. But there, let's say there is another sprain or he falls on his elbow funny when he gets tackled or tries to stiff arm somebody and hurts his, I mean, there's, I mean, all kinds of things. He's been remarkably tough through all the running that he's done. It's amazing that he's, uh, he's stayed as healthy as he has. Well, maybe he drinks milk and what's so funny recovery. Why are you I, laughing? I'm laughing at your, uh, your doom and gloom. You're just kind of listing all of the different bad things. I'm, wor- I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm yeah, worried for Bills fans. I'm worried. Well, I mean, it's poorly. been yeah. it's been a more difficult year in a lot of different ways, especially in the last month or number of weeks. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I still think the Bills are no, really, no better or no worse, other than Tre'Davious White being injured from the team they were a year ago, and that team finished very strongly. I don't think the Bills are going to roll over the teams that they're playing like them. But in maybe three or four of these games, three of the four games, they could do something like that. And I don't think. I think New England's favored to win that game next week, but the Bills could certainly win that game. New England could lose this game against Indianapolis on Saturday night, and the Bills could still be in control of their destiny. But it's not. last year was easy. Everything got easier, it seemed, as the regular season went along. And the Bills, I think in week 16 or 17, had no players on the injured report. They didn't have a lot of virus cases, especially the key players last year. Now they're having a lot of that, both injuries and football injuries and guys going on the COVID list. and. I don't know if they've handled it in some ways it has hurt them. And I don't know if they've handled it that well. And in some ways, maybe they've handled it better than other teams. I wonder if we'll look back at this season and if the bills don't go to the AFC championship game, they don't win the division. They don't win as many games. Will we say, yeah, they really got rocked by COVID in mid season. And it took a lot of key players out of the lineup. They never really recovered from that. They never played their best game after that. Or do we look at it and say, yeah, every team had some issues like that, and that's football, and maybe the Bills had too much good luck last year and it caught up with them a little bit this year. Yeah, I think it'll be like that, Jonah, which is your your overarching point from 10 minutes ago, that, yes, relatively speaking, the Bills have had pretty good fortune regarding COVID. So I think you're right. When we do look back on the season, when we are combine time, looking at the draft, free agency, next next year's training camp um, we're probably looking back and saying and not using COVID as an excuse because you can say and, and point to so many different teams having more problems with it but I think right now in the moment that doesn't you know in for this game and and Josh Allen's health and well-being and the ability to not be upset uh, by the Carolina Panthers, a team that's got more wins than the Jacksonville Jaguars, by the way. And as long as Mansion mates, uh, I'm sorry. Well, they, they came in the league together, Carolina and Jacksonville. Oh, right. That's expansion right. Mates. The expansion. Uh, they're part of the original 30. Um, 
One thing you, you reminded me, though, I, I want to say this sincerely because it might sound somebody could, you know, it might not sound that way. I hope Deion Dawkins is healthy. And I hope that, you know, he had a hard time the first time that he caught this virus. And in football wise, it took him a long time. It seemed like to regain weight and strength and his ability. And maybe he was still struggling with that through the season when he's had some poor games. And hopefully, because this he is thought, the he said he was a, it, he vaccinated. thought he might die. Right. Yeah. And, and so even if he is healthy from COVID standpoint, I'm sure he's, he's in a men, he's probably in a pretty dark place right now. Yeah. It's Mentally. very unfortunate for any individual, but uh, and also a professional athlete that already went through this one time this season, not that many months ago to have to go through it again. And hopefully it's a lot easier for him. And, you know, hopefully it's easy for all of the players to test positive, but um, you know, it's just t- sometimes you feel like you went through it once or a team that goes through it once and you think, Oh, at least we're through the worst of it. And this can't get any worse. And I don't know if these variants or this new reality that we have here throws that math and that dynamic off a little bit. And that's what I feel like with sports. I don't know if we're going for another total shutdown, but we're seeing partial shutdowns and slide back to the scheduling realities that we saw last year. We could talk about that more with Mike McDonald later. You know, we really thought this year was going to be all the games were scheduled as normal. And if you can't play them, you forfeit. Now it's like, well, we're, changing up the schedule. We're going on pause. We're going to take a break. And NBA teams are playing with skeleton rosters and there's back, you know, biting and fighting between NFL teams. Should we play? Should we postpone? Should we cancel? It's really a lot of deja vu with some of that from last year. The Nashville Predators against uh, the Chicago Blackhawks tonight are down eight players and their entire coaching staff. That game's a go. You know, that's one of the games that the NHL has... That's one of the games the NHL has decided not to postpone. So you can imagine how bad it is in other places. Um, it's interesting how they this calculus, because at first, Rudy Gobert tests positive, the whole league shuts down. The whole sports industry shuts down. Last year, they came back, but there were certain numbers and positivity rates where you thought you knew the threshold and, oh, one more, and they're probably going to bang this game. Now it's all over the place, and we're really not sure. And I don't think even two, three weeks ago, I'm trying to think when they first, I guess Ottawa had postponements early in the season, but a couple of weeks ago, you didn't think we were going to be in this position with all three sports uh, dealing with postponements and teams that can't field full rosters. The NBA, it seems like a lot of players and a lot of star players and every day, a new one. And the one league that isn't playing right now is locked out. Right. Yeah. So at least we have college bowl season. The Bahamas bowl uh, was taking place this afternoon. In fact, how about this? I mean, you, you, I'm sure you know the answer to this. St. Bonaventure played this afternoon. It is Friday. It is December 17th. It is not December 25th. Um, why did, uh, did St. Bonaventure play at 4 in the afternoon on a weekday? Well, this was an event. The name of it, I'm forgetting. It, it was a four-game, series of four games event in Charlotte. So they're playing. Oh, I see. One of those Virginia deals. Virginia Tech is a team they played, Wake Forest, and some other Carolina teams. So it's a, and this is a good scheduling event for St. Bonaventure to be kind of the team that was brought in to play Virginia Tech. Unfortunately, it did not go very well. They did not. Bonaventure got poleaxed. Um, what, what happened in that yeah. game, well, Jonah? What, well, you know, by so, 30, how much, 36? They lost by 37. It was a 40-point game until they banked one in at the buzzer. Uh, and Kyle Lofton came back, so it was looking like maybe this was an opportunity for St. Bonaventure to get a quality win that they could need, or maybe they don't need, but it would certainly be helpful for the NCAA tournament resume down the stretch. And I don't know if it gets them all the way back to the top 25, but it would have put them back in that mix and it would have made them one and one in their two kind of biggest neutral site games last week playing UConn. But they, I think they were down 13, nothing at the start. It was a 25 point game at halftime. They couldn't score any points in the first half. They didn't do that much better in the second half. They shot poorly. Uh, It reminded me a lot of their NCAA tournament loss against LSU when they had some similar drought offensively and I think this is a very good team and they showed at the Charleston Classic that they can beat high major teams and they can you know run high major teams off the floor when they're playing well but size wise and some of their three-point shooting you do see some vulnerabilities with this team and against bigger more athletic teams that they can't assert their will against not that it happens all the time but it's now happened a couple times against high major opponents and it makes you wonder if there's just a little bit of a ceiling um but I think Bonaventure is going to have – they're still the favorites in the Atlantic 10. They're still going to have a very good year and probably go to the NCAA tournament and have a chance to win a game. But a couple of weeks ago, 
people talked about St. Bonaventure as a top 25 team that could go to the second weekend. And, you know, if you look at this, you know, in two weekends, they lost against UConn, they lost against Virginia Tech. That doesn't look like a team that can win NCAA tournament games on different weekends right now. What's going on good in Western New York sports? Well, if you like basketball, there's the games at the arena. Uh, you know, well, let me never... just give a rundown of what's so we have the Bills are on a two game uh, losing streak, uh, and uh, the Sabres clean... are on a two game winning streak. I mean, they yeah, that's true. Right now in Pittsburgh, that's true. The Sabres I have won a couple. The Sabres are something to be a little bit excited about if you like that. You know, Uka Pekalukanen has won the last two games, and he's only led in two goals in each of his five starts. I don't know if he's looking like the franchise goalie, but he's looking like he's not a bust and, and he can play for this team and maybe they should keep him. And, and he's something to be encouraged about in goaltending. And, you know, if you look at the Sabres and for a couple of weeks ago, they had no goaltending and they're scoring goals and they're losing all these games when they scored four times. If they had Uka Pekalukunen only letting in two goals a game there, maybe they have a better record. And I don't think they're a playoff team, but, you know, some – the timing of, of what they've done this season, if you put their good offense with their good goaltending and their good play and their good defense and their good health, they haven't had much good health. You know, you can squint and see a decent team. It's not showing up in all of the results, but, you know. <laughs> squint it's not and... the opposite of your doom and gloom about the Bills. I think you can uh, – what's the opposite of doom and gloom? I don't know. I think, I think you can Optimism? see some things. Yeah, you can be optimistic rah, rah. about – you can fill the glass half full before you half empty it when you're talking about the Sabres. <laughs> and basketball-wise, you know, uh, Niagara plays Albany tomorrow after Damon plays Franklin Pierce, and then UB and Canisius play for the first time in a couple of years. That's always a hard-fought rivalry game, even though UB is having a much better season than Canisius and on paper should win that game pretty easily. I think it'll be tougher and more competitive than it looks that way. I think it's unfortunate Bon is not playing in this event. I know uh, being able to play Virginia Tech on a neutral floor in this event was a much better proposition for them. But for West New York basketball fans, it would have been nice to see them play in this and maybe you get a much bigger crowd with the way the Bonnie's fans travel. Have you heard anything about what, what attendance is going to be like for this? I haven't heard anything, and I don't have high expectations. I haven't heard any indications that it's going to be a big number. They haven't been promoting it. I didn't, I didn't even, uh, I've seen some ads, you know, there was a weird thing. Well, what was going on for a couple of weeks, you thought the bills might be playing on Saturday and that would have thrown ticket sales for this into, you know, nobody would have bought a ticket to go to the game except friends and family. I don't think they're going to have a big crowd, but I do think because there isn't anybody else playing tomorrow and, and with a little bit of the promotion, maybe they'll get a walk up crowd. I don't see why if you like going to basketball games, this isn't an event you'd want to see. But it's, it hasn't, in its latest iterations, these doubleheaders and events at the downtown arena haven't really drawn more than eight, 9,000 people. And a lot of those have had St. Bonaventure bringing in about half of that crowd. Like, it could be a pretty small crowd. I'm hoping it's something and you get to see the normal fans that might go to a UB game. But it could be a pretty small crowd in a pretty big arena. You know, before we get to uh, Mike McDonald, I want to give a shout out to Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. Uh, has been a sponsor of the show uh, for a couple of months now and uh, want to let everybody know that it is a great place to go watch all the college and pro football games. And I don't uh, mention this nearly as often as I should when I, uh, when I talk about Amherst Pizza and Ale House, but they show the pay-per-views also, all the boxing matches and MMA. Um, so it's a great place to go. There's no cover charge when they do that. Uh, it's just something that they, uh, they like to show uh, for their uh, customers on those nights. Uh, it's located at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Millersport Highway in the 990. Amherst Pizza Nail House has a ton of TVs. And when, uh, well, when the weather's great, you want to be out there on the patio, which was just last weekend, actually just a couple of days ago. It was in the 60s. Uh, but even when it's cool out, uh, they, have, uh, they have heaters out there. Uh, so you can go enjoy some fresh air and uh, watch uh, watch sports out there on the patio too. Recognized nice. by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. What's that, Jonah? I just want to say it's nice to have a retractable roof when you need yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. Um, it is a place where you can uh, you can have convention space. 
uh, all the different events that a Buffalo uh, Bills stadium cannot hold can actually be held at Amherst Pizza Nail House uh, because of their uh, climate-controlled uh, uh, accoutrements. You control the weather. The weather doesn't control you in that situation. That's right. The only thing you have to worry about is the, are the officials. Uh, stop in or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. 716-625-7100, Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Jonah, anything else uh, we want to talk about before we get uh, to Mike McDonald? Oh, uh, I have a pick I from Joel, well, Joel Staniszewski, um, who has been unable to join the show because he has a new job out there in Las Vegas. Um, our resident handicapper uh, gaming, uh, I'm sorry. I'm falling back into my old uh, Las Vegas uh, mentality from when I was working there. We're out there. It's called gaming, which is they they find that to be more sophisticated than gambling. But you can't call it gaming well, yeah. because everybody else thinks that's video games. Uh, but uh, Joel Staniszewski, he's a handicapper. He's been a odds maker and he is a, a betting uh, analyst and um, has been doing it for a living for a long time out there in Las Vegas. Uh, Buff State grad. Uh, Joel Staniszewski uh has, has a scheduling conflict so he can't join us uh, later in the week like uh, he normally does but he's been sending his picks along uh he uh, was a winner last week uh again and uh, he says to take the under on the bills and he he said they're going to cover uh, against carolina let me look up the updated spread it opened at 11 and a half i think it's 10 and a half he says take the bills to cover uh, but he said it in such a way that he he's almost like he said they better cover type thing. Like he's angry with his bills. Yeah, I don't um, know. I mean, he won last week on the bills, but I think in in reality he won. I think emotionally he lost because he said, <laughs> you know, you can't believe in them. They're frauds. He called them frauds. They were. They should have covered that game because you think in an overtime game, you usually lose by a field goal. It just kind of was a little bit of a backdoor. What's the opposite of a backdoor cover? Front door cover, I guess that's not what it was, but yeah, it was a backdoor cover if you bet the Buccaneers, but not if you bet sure. the Bills. I read an interesting article about how many but, lines are changing by COVID this week. I mean, oh, it's I would love to have. Why would you on. even make a bet today about something that's happening two days from now? Because so many things are changing, and uh, you know, if the game gets postponed, how does that change your bet? Well, right now in a lot of books, Vegas uh, versus Cleveland is off the board. Um, it was only a one-point spread. Cleveland was favored by a point or a point and a half, depending on where you were betting it. Uh, Seattle and the Rams also uh, off the board in a lot of places, but you can still find some action on it. Uh, those bets, uh, those tickets are still good. Um, if you did place a bet on it, once it goes off the board, uh, your, your, your ticket is still live. Is that a fun um, thing to do to bet against the team playing replacement players and they lose and you're like, ah, I won the money on this team that probably shouldn't have had to play. Absolutely. It, it, betting is betting. Yeah, I yeah. picked up the uh, Raiders defense in uh, a fantasy league in which I just made the playoffs. So I am going to prey on those, uh, on those infected Browns. Uh, sorry that it happened to them. Uh, but if the NFL is going to play the game, uh, then uh, I am going to uh, use that uh, to my advantage uh, in my, for personal gain. Uh, so I think you bills, should go the by other the way, way like the scrubs and the points. The Bills are 12-point favorites now, uh, 11 and a half or 12 at some places. So I'm going to put Joel down for uh, taking uh, the Bills minus 11 and a half uh, because uh, you can still find that. Um, I think I that's hope it. Joel wins. Similar to as we mentioned earlier, I know Joel's had some tough time losing bets this season, so I'd like to see him at least get back to even. You said there was something else you want to mention before we get to Mike McDonald. Uh, I did. You were asking me about the attendance, and then I started thinking about how there haven't been too many people at the Sabres games this year, and you're seeing more and more crowd and capacity restrictions. So I wonder if we're going to see small crowds at a lot of events going forward, and, and maybe not be able to judge ticket sales and promotion this season, which we thought we were past that, but I think we're in another season where however many people you get at the game, you'd be happy with. It's been a socially distant, socially distanced Sabres crowd all season. Uh, just not, uh, 
not by mandate. And not just sporting events, but concerts and live events. Or there's been spreading events of late. A lot to go on. I thought I thought we Winter would be done with coming. this by now. Oh, it's only getting worse. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about something a little bit more um, encouraging, uh, and bring in. Uh, Mike McDonald, right after uh, these words from CTBK CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We're joined now on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants by Damon men's basketball coach, Mike McDonald, longtime friend of the show, or at least I consider him a friend of the show. I don't, I don't want to speak for him. Maybe he does this begrudgingly. I don't know, but well, uh, we're, we're pleased to have you. Says Tim Graham and Friends, and you only have Jonah. So where's everybody else? Well, you only got one friend. <laughs> You're not new. You're not new to this. Uh, you, you know how it works. Uh, I don't have many. Uh, but Mike, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, congratulations on your milestone. In fact, it says congratulations right over your head. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was when we went to the uh, Elite Eight last year. That's a little Indeed. different than, uh, than your milestone victory. You've been around for a bit. You still have the boyish good looks. Thank you. But uh, people watching on YouTube may say, how is it possible that this guy has so many collegiate victories? Listen, Um, I was just happy that I got the 400th win before we got the 400th loss. That's all I was worried about. That would have been in doubt uh, had had things uh, continued. If you were still coaching at Canisius, we uh, (laughs) we might have. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Well, yeah. All right. So we were talking uh, before we came on here. Uh, you're you're already you know dismissing the idea of this milestone as I was congratulating you before we came on. And is that not a big deal to you? I mean, 400. It's it's technically I guess it's a random number, really. A, who's who's decided number. that numbers that end in two zeros are significant? But um, to get to 400 wins, that that is significant. Just means I'm old. That's all it means, you know, but as I've said before, I, I haven't made a shot. I haven't made a pass. I haven't grabbed a rebound. I haven't taken a charge or anything. So a lot of good players through the years have helped contribute at different, at three different schools. So that's really what it is. And, and, and the cool part about it was that Mike Morano, our wonderful director of communications here at Damon put it a lot out and people found out. So I hear from people, uh, that were played for me at Madai, were played for me at Canisius. It was really cool, always cool to connect with people maybe you haven't talked to. 108 wins. I just want to, for the record, for people listening, I just want to lay it all out. 108 wins at Canisius, 149 wins at Madai, and now 143 wins at Damon. Uh, that's, um, That's a hell of a run at, at three different schools. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I've said, I always said I'm very lucky in that I've uh, we've been a, I've been able to work at three different schools and live in the same house. And uh, my wife and I are very blessed by that. We've been able to have our our kids all go to the same elementary school, same high schools. One more there until he graduates from Canisius High School, and then you know we've been able to to do that. And I've been able to do what I enjoy doing, coaching basketball. So it's. Uh, I, I realize I'm very unique and very blessed to, to be in that situation and uh, uh, very thankful that it's worked out that way. I believe you're the only coach or maybe the only active coach that's won 100 games at all three levels of NCAA basketball. Um, 
could be. I know Mike was investigating that last year. It's that's a cool thing too. I mean that that one was cool. I always thought that was pretty cool that we we were able to do win three win a hundred games at uh, three different levels. Um, I kind of done, did it in reverse though. When you look at my career, it's funny. It's you know not many most people would start maybe lower and move higher. I started higher, went to the lowest level three, and now I'm at the middle level two. But it's uh, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, I've said it all along that the kids. You know, kids want to win. You're at a place where the kids care about basketball and have some fun. You have a good administration. Things tend to work out. So we've uh, it's, it's been a good run, but I hope it's not over. I don't want it to end it. Or I guess we're at 401 now. I don't want it to end there. We, you know, you're searching for 402 tomorrow. Are you looking for a fourth division? Maybe 100 junior <laughs> college wins? I don't know, Jonah. I don't know. Maybe we'll invent one. Maybe I'll just start coaching your summer league teams. Hey, we could use it. We could use yeah, the help. Yeah, I don't know if you want that. I might. The first move might be uh, benching of a certain two guard, just so you know. <laughs> 401 wins, uh, 375 of them with Andrew Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how? That's why, that's why I got 375 wins right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, and and many more to come with him. Maybe another 400 with Andrew Cisco as your uh, top player, uh, because uh, he keeps finding uh, reasons to stick around. Uh, of course, Andrew Cisco, one of the great uh, players in Western New York at any level, really. Um, but I, I guess I don't want to center on him. We can talk about him in a little bit. But uh, he obviously makes Damon go. Uh, he's that important to the team. But um, what is your take on this year's group? I mean, not just Andrew, but uh, everybody here as you're building this program and you've done such a terrific, dro- uh, terrific job of um, – Turning this into a all right, dynasty is the word that comes to mind. That's that's overloaded. That's too hyperbolic, I think. But it is still a, a program that is can be counted on uh, to be high quality college basketball, and I'm sure you're proud of that. Um, but what is the 2021-22 uh, version of Damon Co- men's college basketball turning into as as you learn its identity? Uh, well, you know, I, I appreciate the comment about high quality. I think a lot of that does go to the players that we've had some very, really good players and I've had very good assistant coaches who work very for, for not a lot of money, but, and will spend a lot of hours because they have a passion for basketball too, including my current staff. And I, I, I know that's why we've been good. Um, you know, I, I might be at the front of this, but it has very little to do with me. It's a lot to do with, with the people who are behind the scenes and the players who are on the court is, is the biggest thing. My view on this team is interesting. I, I thought, you know, starting the year in October, we were very excited. Um, we had five starters back from a team that went to Elite Eight. We were adding kids who had opted out. We were adding a couple newcomers. We felt like we can be deeper. We can be very good. Uh, we went to Texas and played in this tremendous tournament where we played three teams that ranked in the top 25. One team was, we won one game, lost another to number four in the country by about 10. And then we lost to number three by three at the buzzer on, at their place. So I'm saying, you know what? We're pretty good. We're one and two, but we knew we were playing a very difficult schedule and we're going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to get better and uh, we're going to be all right. And then, then COVID hit and, uh, November, November really kicked our butt this year. It happened last year with COVID and we got back from Texas. We had a kid sitting in feel sick and feel well the next day. Went to see our trainer. We were hundred percent vaccinated, our whole team, uh, whole travel party, everybody, 14 out of the 21 people who went to Texas tested positive, including me. And uh, it's, and it's taken us a while to get going. And what I thought would be, all right, November was going to be challenging. It became even much more challenging. And, uh, we, we are five and five right now. Four of our five losses are teams that have been in the top five in the country in division two. Um, so the normal conclusion is fire the scheduler, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's what we should do, but it, we have, we've played really good teams and uh, um, we've been challenged. I think the stat was um, five and five. I think at one point of the 10 games, I think seven out of the 10 teams have been ranked or receiving votes when we played them. And, uh, you know, that 
that's good. I think it'll it'll make us better down the road. It's just kind of getting our footing going, and uh, you know, it's it's been the interesting part. It's been a little more difficult than maybe we had hoped, but you know, the, the hey, life is ten percent what happens to you, ninety percent how you react to it. We want to make sure we, we react well. You know, you can't really every headline you see or every scroll on the bottom line this week and recently is about virus positives and players being out, games being postponed. Um, being in the second year of this now, you know, where do you think college basketball and sports in general is going with this this season? And how how much did you expect this to be a factor again after really dominated the last season? Yeah, you know, Jonah, last year was such a crazy year and unique year. And, and I was so proud of our guys. We got through it. We had three positive tests. Uh, two of them shut us down. Um you know, at different times for, you know, extended periods, but we, we got to January and February, you know, really we got to February and March, we were able to play and had a tremendous season. We talked about going to the elite eight, all that. It's, it was awesome. Uh, but then we, you know, the vaccination came and we all kind of felt like, Hey, we're all vaccinated. It's going to be back to normal. I'll tell you, we went to Texas. It was like, you know, it was like 2018, you know, we were down there and, you know, COVID didn't exist. And unfortunately it still does. And you're right. You look at anything now, this game canceled that game. I heard Syracuse had just had two canceled Duke teams are scrambling around making new games. Uh, I don't know. I think like everybody else, we all thought we were over it and we realized we're not. It's definitely an impact on the sports world. It's been crazy. The, the thing I think we learned last year and I think you're seeing this year is like the schedule is nice, but it's just a piece of paper. Like, you know, you have to be able to, at a drop of a hat, say, you know what? North Carolina is going to go play Kentucky. You know, we're just going to play because we were supposed to play UCLA. We can't play. So we have to figure things out. I mean, our women are, uh, we're supposed to be going down to UDC this weekend, DC. Uh, and they, the DC is on pause. So now they're coming back. It's just, it's at every level. We're all going to do it. I think I'm going to meet with our guys in about an hour. Um, and one of the things I want to tell them is, I think we were kind of in the forefront of this. We were one of the first because we had we had a game against UB canceled, an exhibition game against Madai. We had our first two regular season games canceled, and our guys were crushed. But because nobody else was doing that at the time, like you might you saw, I think the only one I saw during that whole time in November was the Ottawa Senators. And you're like, all right, there's one hockey team, but now now it's like everybody's doing it and everybody's getting games canceled. So you have to adapt and you have to adjust. And uh, we learned how to do that last year. We're going to be okay from it. You're the trendsetters. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just mentioned that Mike, how you learn how to do it. And I guess everybody has, you know, picked up different tricks or uh, a mindset. You get used to it a little bit, but as you mentioned a little bit ago, 10% life and, and 90% of is how you react to it. Have you found that it's getting easier to deal with COVID scheduling or COVID, you know, this, this COVID era that we're in, or uh, I guess, uh, how are, how are you as a coaching staff and your players handling it mentally? Uh, honestly, uh, just, do, do you have to maybe even disconnect a little bit and, and let things happen as opposed, or, or do you have, or, or are you proactive? Yeah, honestly, Tim, I'll tell you, I, um, I didn't handle it well when I went into quarantine because I had it back in the early November, November 2nd, I think. And, you know, it, it, I was upset. I mean, I felt bad. I felt terrible for our guys because I knew this is it, right? <laughs> NC is going to give us another year back like they did last year. Like, this is it for some guys. We have six seniors. And, you know, and then we're, you know, you get one chance to go play UB, you know, an alumni arena. They got a really good team. And, uh, I, I, I was, I was sad. I was mad. I was, you know, upset, but then you have to, you have to kind of get yourself back in that frame of mind. Like, look at, this is what we deal with. Right. I have to be a leader and they have to realize like, uh, you know, if they got to go in quarantine, they got to go in quarantine. This is the way it works. We got to deal with it. And we had practice last year. And like I said, we had two shutdowns. The first one was early November and it was the entire team other than the coaches, uh, other than me, really, was the entire team. And um, even my two assistants went in for quarantine for two weeks. And it it sucked. Um, and not, not that we're used to it now, but now we're like, all right, we've got to deal with this and we've got to come out with it. we got to keep our positive frame of mind and we got to hopefully we can, we'll get through it. We know we can get through it because we saw what happened last year. 
as down as we were going through quarantine in November. You know, we were cutting down the nets in March. And uh, I think the guys guys realized that, you know, it, not that it was worth it, but they understood, like, they dealt with it properly and good things happened. You know, I don't know what the policy is in your conference, but a lot of leagues uh, in Division One and the major leagues have a policy currently in place where if you can't play, you're going to forfeit conference games, and a lot of the pro leagues are like that. With so many cases and so many positives coming up lately, I mean, do you think that's going to happen? How fair is that? Because that wasn't the case for most of last season. Yeah, last year it was like, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll play a game if we can't play. Like we had one of our teams in our league was supposed to come up play us on Saturday and Sunday. And they were like, we, we can't play Sunday. We're only going to play Saturday. And, you know, in the old days, you'd be like, what the heck? You're playing. And, and COVID, you're like, all right, we'll play one game, whatever. You know, <laughs> this is what we'll do. And I think, I, I think, I think it's a little harsh to be saying you're going to forfeit when you don't know. Like I just mentioned, our women's team had a situation where, you know, DC said, hey, we're going on pause. We got to, you know, you can't just say we're not playing or you forfeit. They, it's not like they tried to get it, you know? And, and it's like, you know, there have been instances in the past where teams have had flu outbreaks. They said, we have to, you know, we can't play this week. Okay. And I think we're more understanding of it. You know, I don't know if we had four kids sprain an ankle and say, you know what, we're not going to play because we have four sprained ankles, but it's different. It's different. And I think the world is different. And I think we all have to adapt to it and you have to give the kids a chance to play and to get, take a forfeit really, really gets away from what we're in this business for. Right. We're, we shouldn't be in the business for the adults. We should be in the business for the kids. Right. And what do the kids want to do? They want to play. They want to play. I mean, I'll, I'll use ours as a good example. We got out of quarantine. We had about two days of practice. We had a game schedule at Mercyhurst. I called the guy at Mercyhurst. who was a really good team, really good guy. And I said, can we move it back one day and we'll still play? We played without two starters. We were just out of quarantine. You could tell we didn't have legs. But what did our guys want to do? They want to play. So in the end, you got to, you know, who cares about my record or the team's record or all that stuff? Go play, right? Play. And if you get beat, you get beat and you know what we'll get we'll get it back somewhere along the way you kind of transition right into the question i was going to ask there mike is i'm getting a sense that at least in with you as as difficult as that was to quarantine and in the things that you can't control that get under your skin and you're missing opportunities and i know that the record maybe not your personal record but records matter in the standings and making the tournament and in all these other things the ripple effect of wins and losses but I'm getting a sense in hearing you is of listening to you is that maybe the wins and losses aren't as important as they used to be. I don't mean with you, but the, the perspective of COVID and like you say, we just want to play. And if we have, if we have to maybe forfeit a game, let's keep scheduling this stuff anyway. And if we get tagged with a loss, so what it, it, you know, the records maybe just aren't, aren't, aren't important this season, or you put an asterisk on it or whatever, but it sounds like the perspective of wins, you know, and losses aren't uh, isn't as as important as, like you say, just getting the ball out there on the court and and let's play a game. Yeah, I think you know, Tim. I think you have to look at that and and wins, winning, and losing is always important, right? You always tell you, hey, it's important, but in the end, like you want the opportunity to play. And I think again, I go back to what last year taught us. Like, how many times was two two high major teams somebody got canceled then that that one high major team went and found somebody else and they put it on tv and they played it and like hey this is great guys weren't scared they weren't playing just you know the the build up cupcakes in november and december so they padded their record and now all of a sudden they, you know they have a good record in march to get in the tournament it was like let's just go play screw it we'll find somebody and we'll play um, I, I think they're always going to be important to the Fans are always going to be important. The athletic directors, and listen, I'm, you're talking to a guy who was fired from his first head coaching job, so I know what it's like. But I also know that, like, you'd like to I, – I, I've always had this belief, like, if they were going to fire a coach, like if a coach goes and schedules a tough game, they lose that game, and and that's the one reason. Maybe they finished one game under 500 this year or last year. They were going to fire that coach anyway, Right. And, and if they, they don't look, if the athletic directors don't look at it with like, and presidents don't look at it and say, did they do what was right for the kids? Then the athletic director is wrong and the president's wrong. And they're really making the change because they wanted to make the change anyway. You got games playing this weekend or tomorrow at the Key Bank Center as part yep. of a triple header. 
you know, can you tell us a little bit about what that means, what this game means for your program, being part of this event, and any thoughts on the the Division One doubleheader coming up afterwards? Yeah, we're we're really excited and thankful that Canisius and Niagara will let us make this turn it from a doubleheader to a tripleheader, and uh, we're getting a chance to play a really good team, Franklin Pierce, who's right now ranked number two in the East. They're seven and two. They they have a terrific guard in Isaiah Moore, and they're they're very good. They're a really good team, and um, blame the scheduler again on that one. But for for us to play in in the arena is great for our guys. We just got back. Wait, to are, you're the scheduler. Let, let's you're the scheduler, right? <laughs> I am the scheduler. Yes. All right. Scheduler. You, this is the second time you've said that. I just want to make sure yes, everybody knows that you're the scheduler. I'm the dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, we knew we had a good team and we want to play good teams. And that's, that's what we've been doing, playing good teams, right? Um, but but for our guys to go, we were just out of the arena to practice and to play in the, you know, it's not the world's most famous arena, like they call Madison Square Garden, but it's definitely Western New York's most famous arena, right? And it's and for us to get a chance to play down there and our guys see it, and then they'll be able in a few months to see the Division One tournament being hosted there, you know? That's a great experience for our guys. And that's what we try and sell to the kids at Damon when we recruit them. When we're recruiting kids out of high school. We say, hey, you're going to come here. You're going to win. You're going to lose. You're going to have a great experience. You're going to do some really cool things. So we're, this weekend is a great example. We're playing. We play at 11 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, right, against Franklin Pierce. We have a game Monday at UDC, University of District Columbia, all right, we're going to leave Saturday late afternoon, early evening, get down to, to D.C. Sunday, we're going to practice, but we're also going to go see the Lincoln Memorial, see some of the museums, do those type of things, right? That, that's the experience that maybe kids don't get at other levels, other places sometimes. And to get, be able to say that Damon College, and it's not just me, it's our administration, it's Tracy Murphy, our athletic director, it's Dr. Olson, our president, they are encouraging that. And if and you start to give kids those experiences, it's something they'll remember for the rest of their lives. They're skipping out on Niagara Albany and UB Canisius. Unfortunately, yes, we are. We have to, but we bad yes. We had a mover league schedule, but you know, it, for us to have the opportunity to go to DC and uh, get down there, we'll be able to watch it from the bus. Are you going to do like a Norman Dale, Mike, and uh, measure the <laughs> measure the hoops to make sure that they're ten feet? You know that the the free throw line is still the same. Because let's face it, this is where the Buffalo Bandits play. Well, you know, right. <laughs> no, no basketball coach has won more games in that building than Mike McDonald. Yeah, probably lost more either. That's <laughs> <laughs> what um, happens when you coach 800 games. Yeah, that's right. But it's, uh, I haven't coached 800 yet, Joan. I'm not that old. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's not 500. Yeah, so there you oh, go. I was, I was rounded he does, up, have, he does have a winning record. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cool. I, I've had the opportunity to coach a lot of games there. It's a great arena. I, I thought it was really cool when we played there when I was coaching Canisius. I thought it was, you know, it was always a good time to go down there, even when we played Kentucky and got killed, you know. Uh, but but we would, you know, again, it was always an event. And the MAC tournament in 2001 was, you know, we went to the finals there. Always a, a lot of special memories for that, you know. And that's uh, so I've, I've had the opportunity to play there or coach there. And I think it's great for our guys to have the opportunity to play there. Mike, is there anything else you want to talk about that we didn't uh, that we didn't uh, ask you about? How are the Bills going to do this weekend? Or should I wait for Joe Biscaglia? He's too big to appear on this podcast. <laughs> you have to listen to his podcast. He's he's a friend of he's a he's a friend of Tim Graham, but not a friend of the show. Wow. He has a podcast. He has his own thing. Yeah. I don't want to say that there's any kind of heat between Joe and me. I don't want anybody to like listen to that and say, "Oh, Joe." Joe would come on the show if I asked him to, but I feel like I would be, he's got his own podcast. I don't want him to have to come and use his good material yeah. on this show. And then, you know. Nobody pays you that respect though. They get you on their podcast and <laughs> say things that you're not willing to tell this audience. That's true. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm more, and Jonah, we've talked about it. Maybe Mike could host the show once. There you um, go. As the host, I'm more of like the, I'm dishing off as opposed to people asking me my opinion. So it's funny that on my own podcast, I really don't give my opinions as much unless Jonah asks me. I'm mostly setting other guard. people up. Yeah. You're the point guard, right? You're John Stockton. 
he took more shots. I think who is, who is like the, who is the, like the worst shooting point guard? Like, is there, who's the quintessential, like all dish, no shot. Is there one? He's got My assistant Ryan Grant just said Ben Simmons. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I mean, I could be compared to Ben Simmons. Sure. Yeah, now you we look alike. Hope we get traded to Portland. We look a there lot alike, and you know we have you similar. Do, you date a Kardashian? Similar wants and needs. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, again, congratulations on the milestone victory. It does say a lot. It's um, you're you're a fixture here in Western New York for a reason. It's because you're great at what you do. And uh, you've always been kind and uh, to, um, you know, such a, such a class act. And, and I think a lot of people in Western New York are happy for you and your longevity, but know that uh, a lot of these milestone wins come at the, at the end or whatever. You've got a long ways to go. Long ways. Thank to you. Go. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Whether you want to or not. <laughs> I'm cursing you with a lot. You're going to have to keep doing this. How long do you want to do this? I got more questions. Doing it. Got time. Yeah, you just say, Jonah. Oh, yeah, you might. You might. How long do you want to keep coaching? Or do you mean yeah. how long? Yeah, I'm not talking how long. Uh, oh, oh. Jonah thought I was asking how long he wants to keep doing the I thought the you podcast. were trying to wrap this up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I Jonah's got to get to lunch. Come I on. was kind of wrapping it up, but then, <laughs> yeah, you know, let's, in the spirit in the spirit of milestone victories and, and, a, and a decorated career, how, how long do you want to keep doing this? As long as I keep enjoying it, which I do right now, and it's, uh, you know, it's a crazy way to make a living, but it's a lifestyle. My wife and I and my family have embraced, and uh, it's fun. I have one of my sons is playing for me now, so he knows what it's like. And it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I, have, I don't really have a long-term plan or anything like that. I just want to keep going as long as they'll keep having me. And, and they haven't changed the locks on the door. I'll keep opening it. Your sons have, have played at a high level, of course, Division One basketball, and then you have one playing for you, as you mentioned. Um, would you like to coach with one of your sons? Maybe, maybe the oldest two are, uh, are out of college and that one works, Matt works for the Brooklyn Nets in the front office. He's a lot smarter. He's the guy who hires and fires coaches. Eventually he'll be, hopefully be that guy. He likes doing scouting and things like that. And then my son. Ivy league educations generally don't end up as uh, assistants at Damon generally. (laughs) And Patrick, who. uh, No no offense to your assistants who are sitting right off camera. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But the, uh, my my other my second guy Patrick graduated from the uh, the uh, Maritime Academy. He's in the Navy now. He's stationed in Japan, so he's that's a long commute to get to Damon. So we'll see. There are two other ones left. Uh, Nick, who plays for us, and my son Mark, who's in high school. So we got a long way to go. Is Mark still hoping to be a member of the sports media? You never know, Jonah. I think he watches your. He sees your life, and he says, "You know, that guy's got it pretty good." Yeah, I think he does look up to me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the story you told years ago. He saw the uh, the cookies and some of the stuff they put out for the media before the game when you used to do games. And he said, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Very similar probably to your, your yeah, career that's, path that's, right there, Johnny. That's hooked me. I was, uh, I was doing a game. It was actually Canisius Bonnie's at the uh, – or Canisius UB at the uh, arena, one of the big four doubleheaders. And I was doing it for Time Warner back when Time Warner was – up and running and uh, went and I brought him with me. I said, come on, we'll go down there. And he went in there. He's eating the free cookies in there. He's like, he, can't, he always asked me, he goes, they're going to be cookies at this game this weekend. And they going to have, he's mad. He's got a game in Rochester. He can't come tomorrow, but he, uh, he said, well, if there are any cookies, make sure I get them. We have to talk to Keith McShay about getting cookies in the press room at all the Canisius games. Yeah, there you go. All right. Here's a little stretch. Obviously you're talking about the media and cause I was going to make some sort of Jerry Sullivan remark regarding how your son, if you just oh, Jerry, he doesn't it, come on the show anymore. He used to, he must have his own. Podcast. No, he was on last oh, week. He was on oh, last week to explain himself in the question that he asked uh, in the bills news conference. And that's what I want to ask you about Mike, as somebody who's been on that end yeah. of a Jerry Sullivan question or any media, what did you think of what Jerry asked? Or what, how would you handle it if somebody asked you something about just being embarrassed? Yeah, I thought that was... Because I know you're a Bills one. fan. I know you consume media. I know you're aware of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you're a, you are an honest guy. So what, what do you think? I will tell you this. I didn't hear the question. I heard the reaction. I think I forget it was Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer said, embarrassed. Are you kidding me? And, but I had no idea who, who asked it. And then my brother who lives in Boston goes, eh. Jerry Sullivan at it again, huh? 
And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, he was the one to ask those guys that question. I said, he, he knew in Boston and I'm in Buffalo. I didn't know, but um, yeah, I think it's a, you know, we all know Sully is choice of words. Sometimes he tries to, he likes to stir it up. Right. Mm -hmm. and he's good at stirring it up. And uh, I think that was probably his intent. What I would say is embarrassed. They scored, you know, they catch that pass at the end of the game, the bills win. And I, you know, maybe their thing was let them run because we don't want them to pass because we've lost the, who I think is probably one of the best cornerbacks in the league to an injury. So now you've taken that, they're just running. And it didn't, in reality, the bills could have won. So you can, uh, you know, I do always, I'm always. I think that's kind of what Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were saying without saying it, because then you're throwing your offense under the bus as yeah. a player, as a coach, you can probably say, you can say that, but as no, a player I mean, on the team, you don't want to, but uh, yeah. And let me move it forward to even like this past week against Tampa Bay. Right. And I'm, I'm always hesitant to kill coaches because you know how, you know, sometimes you don't make a move and everybody, you know, and, and somebody says, Oh, what a brilliant move that guy did. And maybe it was totally opposite of what you intended, but a guy makes a play, but like, you know, people were, were, we're questioning McDermott, like some of the things that Sean McDermott did. Should he have gone with a fake punch? Should he have gone for twos? In the end, they're with the ball. They're at the two-yard line with a chance to beat the defending Super Bowl champs. Isn't that all you want, right? At the end of the Patriots game, they have the ball. They have a chance to win. That's the coach's job to put them in a chance, in a position to win. Both those games, they had a position to win. Did they get run over? Yeah, maybe they got run over. But in the end, did they have a chance to win? Yeah. Right, Tampa Bay. Did maybe the fake punt didn't work at the end of the game? Did it work? I heard Romo say it during the game where he said, "You know, they were everybody was saying should he punt here, and he punted. Not a good idea. It was the third quarter. He shouldn't have punted. He was down a lot. He didn't agree with it. And in the end, he's like, he was right. Here he is in overtime. He got them to where they wanted to be. So it it always looks better if the play is made and things work out and you win, right? But in the end, the coach's job put him, give him a shot to win. They had a shot to win. Did they win? No. You know what? I got news for everybody. One team going to win, one team going to lose. It's the way it works. <laughs> Damon basketball coach and notorious Sean McDermott apologist, Mike McDonald. <laughs> Thank you for your time and for uh, joining the podcast here, Mike. Again, um, continued success to you. Uh, congratulations on 400. Uh, here's the 400 more. Uh, <laughs> whether you want it or not. Uh, but uh, you got it in you, I think. I like your confidence. Thank you for having me. Thanks for giving Damon some info, some uh, highlights and, uh, and keeping us in, in everybody's mind in the Western New York sporting community. I really appreciate it. Great program. And uh, Western New York should be proud of, of what's uh, happening there at Damon. And not only with the men's basketball program, but with uh, all the athletics. I mean, it's, yep. it's uh, volleyball, women's volleyball team went to the elite eight women's basketball went last year to the elite eight. I mean, we've had three programs in the Elite Eight in the last, what, seven months, right? It's really eight months. It's been really impressive when you think it's above about average. It. Yeah. School, school our size, playing against some of these other schools, it's, it's not usual. But um, we're, we've, like I said, good administration. It starts at the top, starts at the top and works its way down. And it's, uh, it's why we've been able to win. Thanks again for doing this, Mike. All right. Take thanks. Care. Anytime, Tim. See you, Jonah. We'll